Hello and welcome to the first edition of the Vendlab e-commerce podcast. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Sil Forwell, who is the founder of Muddy Trowel. Um, Steve is going to tell us all about his business and his inspiration and the inspiration behind it. So over to you, Steve. Um, can you tell us a bit about Muddy Trowel and, and what made you think about starting this business? Uh, of course, I'm very honoured uh, to be the first guest on this August, which I know is going to be a, um, a hit. You are too. Hit, you are too kind. <laughs> hit podcast, probably, but we'll see, shall we? Um, I'm uh, yeah, very excited. Thank you very much um, for talking to me about Muddy Trowel. Where did it come from? Well, it well, it emerged from the first lockdown, um, April last year. Uh, I was. Uh, twiddling my thumbs, um, metaphorically, uh, having left a previous startup, Love Space's chief exec, and moved to the board there. Uh, and I was thinking about what I was going to do next. COVID struck. Long story short, um, I decided to launch a business to help nurseries and garden centres get plants that would otherwise have gone to waste into the hands of gardeners during the first lockdown and called up a few mates and set up muddy trout in two weeks mm -hmm. uh and which was you know, we, uh, which was a great lockdown business but we always had an intention uh to create something longer lasting and so we've morphed that into um uh, a uh, provider of joyful sustainable plant kits for amateur and aspiring gardeners people who love plants but maybe don't want to get their hands too dirty okay uh, into gardening uh, and that's like, what we've been like running for the last one, six months. Like, a, like an all-in-one kit. It is an all-in-one kit. Think, think sort of Gusto or um, Hello Fresh uh, oh, for gardening. World. Yeah, exactly. The plant world. So yeah, so we provide you with everything you need to create a beautiful display of plants. Um, at the moment, mainly in containers, but we're moving on to kind of borders and, and larger formats. So you know, imagine you've got a patio, a balcony, you know, sort of window. Uh, boxes will deliver you the container, will deliver you the compost you need, and a beautifully curated selection of in-bloom plants, so you get an instant impact immediately. The big difference from those kind of things that you might otherwise be buying from garden centres or, um, or DIY stores or the bigger supermarkets is that the plants that we source are, are the UK-based, they're largely perennials, they'll last year after year. Okay. So not only do you get an amazing instant hit of colour and impact, but also you've got plants that, you know, incredibly good value because they'll look easy to last and you can learn, you can learn how to nurture and look after them over time. Okay. So so where's if you so if you went to a, I don't know, local garden centre, they delivered you something that would normally be be something which would be perhaps not last as long or, or Yeah, I mean so you've got sort of two ends of the spectrum. At one end, garden centres cater for you know people who know a little bit about gardening or at least if you don't know a little bit a little about gardening you're in real danger of killing the stuff that you buy from there <laughs> and putting it in the wrong place um and at the other end of the spectrum you've got kind of got the convenience you know, even cut you know cut flowers or those sort of baskets of annuals which are pretty environmentally unfriendly and don't last right. very long a lot of them come from you know we all know we all know the well, smell you know that smell you get from a vase of flowers after they've gone you just want to keep them nurturing, you know, nurture them on a little bit longer. But you know, that's that's you know, we're we're not about kind of um, short termers, and we we want plants that are going to last uh, for okay. people and continue to bloom. 
So what kind of customers do you have? Are they like, so a lot of them would be people who are kind of, you know, perhaps bought a new house or something like that and are looking to, looking to dip their toe into the gardening world? Yeah, there's definitely sort of the first timers, um, people who kind of want to do up, everyone really wants to do up their outdoor space. There's a big trend, obviously, particularly accelerated by COVID, um, people being around the house more, uh, thinking about, you know, design of the space that having to spend a lot of time in. Uh, and and, and this, one of the biggest growth sectors last year has been you know, outdoor furniture, stuff for patios. So, we, so we're tapping into that, certainly. Um, lots of folk who would like to uh, jolly up uh, their outdoor space. Um, people who want to get into gardening for the first time don't know where to start. Mm -hmm. And a big segment for us is gifters. So we just had Mother's Day. And so in the last kind of two or three weeks, probably about 75, 80% of our sales have been actual gifts. Um, because of what you we get with us. That's interesting. They being mothers, because I've got a, a friend of mine that runs a flower business, and his business looks something like this: Valentine's Day, Mother's Day. I mean, he would do like a month sales in a day. Yeah. Do you find that has it been that peaky for you? Well, it's almost the other. You know, for us, those fill the gaps that outdoor plants would normally, you know, be quiet in. So if you think about the outdoor plant season, it really runs March through to March through to sort of July. Um, and so Christmas, Mother's Day, Valentine's Day fill a gap for us. Yeah. So, so, so we, we, you know, I, my previous um, business, Love Space, was also a very seasonal business, probably much more seasonal than plants because we, we stored a lot for international students mm -hmm. and continue to store a lot for international students. Um, and so, you know, I'm used to running those kind of businesses. And one of the, one of the tricks of running a seasonal business is that you both set up operationally to be able to respond to all those peaks. Yeah, but mm -hmm. also you look you look to fill the gaps where you can so you can spread your fixed costs. Is it just outdoor plants you do or do uh, indoor plants? Just outdoor at the moment, yeah. So obviously one way of, do, of, of solving the kind of seasonality would be doing more indoor plants. The problem with indoor plants is they're very well served and very good startups, patch plants, beards and daisies and, and others. Um, uh, lots of copycats to patch. Uh, and actually that it's not a particularly, although they all look very green, it's not particularly environmentally friendly Kind of space doesn't fit that well with our brand. Um, most of those yeah. plants are shipped. Most of those plants are shipped in straight, straight off the kind of boat or plane from Holland, um, and they have to be kept, you know, in very warm conditions all year round. Obviously, including in the mm -hmm. nursery. So you know, it doesn't quite fit our brand ethos yet. You know, we're also about collections of plants rather than individual plants. You know, every it, you can you can pretty much buy the same plant at each of those kind of retailers. So we've not done, you know, we've not done indoor yet. We may we may move into it if we can do it in the right way next year. Okay, sounds good. Um, so tell me about because I'm interested in obviously my experiences with with selling uh, mainly a lot of things like toys and other baby products that just never go off, right? So I'm interested to know how do you actually deal with the supply chain of your products? Obviously, I'm guessing that, that optimizing the supply chain so you don't, you know, things don't die is very yeah. very important. So how do you go about doing that? So I mean, first thing to say is we're learning all the time. So we've been going about nine months and and that problem is partly the reason that i believe in our business because i think that problem makes it difficult for other people to come in and copy um so uh the way we do it uh is we sort of it's almost like a judo throw really we we only want things that are in season and looking good for a period of time right so so we want to buy things pretty much close to the point that we can then sell them on and we right. don't want to be holding too much inventory mm -hmm. but we but we need to send out quality 
plants. And what we don't want to do is just, you know, get get a nursery um, from Leeds, for instance, to send the plants out to customers without us being able to check the quality. So we're taking in about two, three weeks of in inventory mm -hmm. from nurseries, which means that we can um, monitor the quality of the plants. So do you do uh, all the delivery yourself or is it drop shipped by? No, and, and, and we do it to, we do it ourselves in the sense that we're um, organizing all the logistics and we work with a, a handful of third party couriers to run vans, which we are scheduling um, on a, on a kind of daily basis. So when you receive the uh, plants as a customer, they've come directly from our nursery. So we know the quality is going to be brilliant. Okay, was it your nursery as it. in your nursery as in a nursery that you work with or your nursery as in your actual facility? So we have a facility, a, a polytunnel. I mean, nursery would be too grand because we're not growing <laughs> anything from scratch, but we are, you know, but we are looking after plants there. Um, we're, you know, we're based alongside a, a fantastic community nursery, nursery and cha charity called Sunnyside in Hemel Hempstead, um, mm -hmm. which is brilliant because we can tap into their kind of knowledge as well. Um, and bringing in plants from two or three um, British nurseries there, um, looking after them, as I say, for, you know, we would aim between two, two and three weeks uh, and then moving them uh, to customers. Uh, that, that gives us the good blend of managing inventory risk we're not taking that much on so our turns pretty quick mm -hmm. um, but also means that we can uh, make sure the quality is high to do that well you've got to have your other processes all brilliantly lined up so good example is photography and merchandising because you know, we're moving the range through every time you know, we've, we've got about um, uh, 30 different products on the site at the moment which will soon be 100 those 30 products are mixes of plants once they're gone, they're gone. Yeah. So we've got about probably about a month to pick the plants, bring them in, photograph them, and then sell them. Okay. So, so if you think think of it more more akin to fast fashion, actually, yes, you know, yes. some of the operate some of the operational um, challenges. So I think you know, I, the op go on. No, it's so something I've always found I mean, in my business. We we don't we we don't have that many things that 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 change a lot because it is quite a lot of effort to actually you know take the photographs and taking photographs is difficult. Align descriptions is difficult. It's all, you know, must, is it, do, you, do you have quite a lot of people working on that then? The actual merchandising product? <laughs> a lot of me. <laughs> a lot, lot of, of me. And, <laughs> and uh, no, we got, a, we got, we got a, um, two or three uh, full-time team members of which, you know, uh, one, one of them, Yoel and I will do most of the photography together at the moment. Um, but each time we do it, we are thinking about a bit like a pit stop, you know, think about sort of formula one, how do you, Kind of knock off 10% of the time that it took from the previous version because we know that process is so critical yeah. to us and particularly as we scale so you know and this is this is something I, I thought about a lot and we did pretty well I think at Love Space is you know, doing all of the work you can early on and making sure you've got it to a position that when the demand really comes in and you can easily with a startup as you all know you know depending on circumstances you can be going from you know doing say index of 100 to index of like 2000 within within weeks so your processes have got to be good enough robust enough to scale to that next level and you've got to be able to just bring people in you know hire people really quickly you can immediately pick up the process because mm -hmm. there's only so much of you yes there's only so much of you that can go around you know it's fine you can tempt yourself early on that you can just do it all or you just scramble. end up you end up just run out of energy 
Because yeah, you run out, yeah, you run out of energy, and you just you, you fundamentally can't possibly have the bandwidth to do yeah. everything. And, and when things you know when things sort of circle around and and you start getting lots of inquiries, you've got a field or you know people who are wanting to change dates of deliveries or you know asking about plants. Unless you've got those processes really nailed and the tech re that's required to support them sorted early on, you, you know, that's that's where a lot of businesses fail. Okay, that's good advice. So tell me, tell me about the, okay, so I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, the plants, they're quite delicate kind of things. Um, how do you go about getting them delivered so they actually, they arrive in one piece? Um, so because we're doing it in, uh, in sort of same day vans, they're not going on pallets, they're not, they're not actually heavily packaged. When it turns up with you, you get the pot. In the pot, we've already put the compost and we've pre-drilled it and put the appropriate drainage in there. And then the plants are literally just sitting on top of the pot. But there, there are enough of them because they're really planted in there. And they're secure. And the, okay. And you get that, and you get a you get a sort of a bag of compost, and and that is, um, I don't think maybe with the exception of, you know, very early on, I don't think we've had any complaints on kind of damage on arrival or similar. Is it, and that's is it, that's that's critical. Is it ruinously expensive? Because so, because is it ruinously expensive to deliver things like that or? Define um, really expensive, no, no, it's not, and it's it's one of the again one of the things um, that I took from the experience at Love Space, where we eventually got to a point where delivering with our own vans was cheaper um, than putting it through a parcel force or a DPD. You know, we're talking about large items. This is not yeah. true, obviously, if you were doing postal or if you were doing small Amazon items. And I know, obviously, with your your business, Trevor, you know, a lot of the stuff if it's small format, then um, then you're probably better just using the kind of big yeah. mass networks. But because we're sending stuff out that's, you know, that might weigh 20, 20 kg, 25 kg, some of the larger pots. Um, and um, they're big formats. They're obviously, you know, plants. To, to get the say anywhere near the same quality through a third party, that would be ruinously expensive. Yeah, I think, I um, think, to, um, to use your words, it is expensive. I mean, it, you know, we're, we're paying. Um, you know, we're paying above a tenner a drop, and we're only charging customers five pounds at the moment for that. But that comes that comes down with density over time, and um, you know, I'm very confident having having been around that circle before with Love Space. That that's you know, ten pounds doesn't sound too bad. Just need to scale. Yeah, sounds sounds all right. So tell me, you're at the moment you're only delivering to a certain area. Are you looking to expand that? Where where are you delivering to at the moment? So we live to London, uh, most of the southeast. Um, so we go sort of west to Oxford, north to Northampton, east to Cambridge, and south to the coast. Um, and that's that, that's pretty much where we to your point where we can economically run same day vans um, from our um, from our nursery. We would love to expand, but we only really we, we're only going to expand once we know we've got the kind of all the metrics once sorted for it. London. Yeah, once we nailed it, I think you know it is interesting. We have so many inquiries from outside our catchment area, which means we're wasting money effectively on some of our marketing. Um, and that's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is you know when we expand, we'll get a lot of effectively free free customers compared with now because mm -hmm. you know, we we already we've already got them interested. I think that brings on to my next question is um what how do you market your business? Uh, usual, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. <laughs> um, yeah, the usual kind of Google and Facebook tax. Um, uh, we we do a lot of organic and, and content work ourselves. Um, uh, Hannah and our team is absolutely brilliant at making sure that we've got relevant uh, content, copy, community stuff up on mm -hmm. um, the obvious platforms and that definitely works that's a you know long term that works we spend a lot of 
time thinking about brand um, as well and making sure that we're investing in, in activities that will build brand in the long term. But you can't really escape, you know, Google for this kind of thing. And also you can't if you want to get the message out there. Escape. Yeah, and also, yeah, exactly. So Google in particular is great because of the weight, lack of wastage. Um, and, and similarly with Facebook and Instagram. And so we get some wastage there because people want to buy gifts. You know, we're advertising to people in London who want to buy gifts to people outside of London. So there's a bit of wastage. But it's, um, uh, but they're good scale platforms. And I think if you, you know, for us, our, thinking about our funding journey, we would like to raise more money. And I think it's important to be able to show investors that you've got a scale channel that you can invest more behind. To, mm -hmm. to grow the business, you know, rather than we've done three or four very niche but interesting marketing initiatives. You know, the question then is, well, if I give you more cash, where do you know? The usual selection of Silicon Valley companies. Sadly, and it's really disappointing. You know, I mean, it is. It's it's a big problem, I think, for um, uh, for for the, for the ecosystem generally. It's, it's, it's. I mean, clearly, we can all argue that having Google, Amazon, Facebook has been fabulous in enabling people and other tools, enabling people to start up quickly and find an audience quickly. There's no doubt about that. But structurally, it's a big problem that, you know, all the money inevitably has to go to roughly the same people. I mean, it's yeah, I think, I think, also, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, monopolies do what monopolies do. Eventually they start to offer a worse service. And, of course they do. Yeah, of course, know, of course they do. Yeah. I, I so see I, that particularly from Amazon's point of view that they are very, very bad to their third party sellers and some things, and you know, unless you're one of their customers, then you get a really rough deal. And I think that, um, you know, you do hear uh, with, with all of them. I mean, basically, anyway, don't get me started. <laughs> no, no, we can have a, we have a completely separate conversation. Yeah, that's because... regulators, the regulators are going to be the rock stars, hopefully, you know, and it's nothing against any of the companies or the people who've started them. As you say, it's just inev the inevitability you know, one day we'll be the monopoly in plants, you know, and then, then, I'll, welcome, <laughs> then I'll welcome the regulators to my door. But, uh, so how do you, in terms uh, of it, do you get many repeat customers? Is that something you're really, really working towards? Yeah, and it's been a real surprise to be honest with you how, how strong that's been. So yeah. we get about 30% repeat rate within three months and that's off season. Um, and so, our, you know, if you track things like your cohorts and lifetime spend, that's increasing, you know, in a, in a really nice way. That's a mixture of us doing a brilliant job, but also people who get into plants and certainly kind of potted plants, um, they really get addicted to it. So, you know, they love mm -hmm. it. People who, we've, we've people who do first orders and then as soon as the first order lands, they're immediately putting in a second order, um, which is great. You know, that's that that shows that we're on the right track in terms of the product. But you're quality. doing that wow thing as people turn, turn up. Obviously people are- Exactly. No, the next bit is then to get them to tell friends you know as much as possible about it and create moments where that will mm -hmm. happen um so we're working on referral at the moment so i'm guessing you're not selling you're not selling much through kind of third-party platforms like ebay and amazon that's not the only one we do we have done not in the high street um and that was a pretty good experience for mother's day it's early days we'll see where that goes um very gifty uh, it is very gifty so it's fits you know and that was to test gifting out um no, no our yeah certainly from a philosophy point of view uh I, I would rather not be captured by a third party seller so if we were going to do it we'd be pretty agnostic um i mean it does make sense to go where customers are looking for you so we have to we have to think about that over time but we think that um 
the service we can provide on our platform because remember with because as you said earlier we're, we're selling living things um it's not just about sending the product out it's also about plant care and you know what goes with what and ultimately kind of more gardening advice um it makes sense to um have money trail as a kind of a, a space in and of itself mm -hmm. yeah i mean certainly i mean third-party platforms they tend to if you've got something which is a kind of discrete item which doesn't require customization fairly standard to deliver i think they work really well but i think something like yours it mm, might probably trying to fit a bit of a round peg into a square hole it could well be it could well be i mean i think gifting does make sense um and yeah and google google delivers good traffic for outdoor plants but it's a very um it's the opposite actually of uh what i found with storage with love space in a love space um there are very few search terms that people go after storage storageness and almonds you know um storage yeah. students and therefore you know therefore the long tail strategy doesn't make any sense you're kind of all competing for the same terms so ultimately you want really want to get off google whereas um with plants it's a real long tail because you've got all the plant species you've got both the english names the latin names you've got different environments so it's a very different kind of strategy and we're very lucky to be working with you know really good a really good friend of mine um rich gradwell who's um who's working on, on that with us because I mean, is, is it that people are searching for, you know, very, you know obviously look at, are people looking for specific plants, they want a specific plant for the house, or do they come to you and have to learn about the plant they want? Or So it depends what segment we're looking to. So we're, we're going after the third of plant buyers. There's about 2 billion spent on plants in the UK every year. And a third of that is spent by people who um, really kind of love the idea of having more plants, but don't want to do gardening. So mm -hmm. they don't know the Latin names, and they might know the names of some of the plants but they don't really want to you know they want they want something that smells you know beautiful in the spring or you know something's in pinks and whites or something that's going to fit into a nice shady corner and give them you know nice green foliage all year round and so our job is to curate things that do that job for them mm -hmm. um you know it's not it's 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 a craft industry gardening and a bit like some of the other craft industries wine food art it it veers towards being a bit snobbish and specialist to the expense of the general consumer uh and you know so actually wine has been demystified a bit online food certainly has um and it's about time gardening did because it's not you know what the, the offer the offer that's there at the moment is just not fit for purpose in my right yeah yeah i think if it's it's, it's interesting obviously it's quite a new business how it's how has it been funded um so we funded it through a bunch of sweat equity to begin with. So the early team we had to get up really quickly and we had to get up in two weeks to meet the problems um, uh, that were uh, emerging from the first lockdown. So we did that on the basis of, you know, please everyone pile in, um, do some work. Um, let's, you know, let's get this up as a team and uh, everyone will get a little bit of equity as a result. Um, so that's how it started. I then went out once we knew we were onto something, um, to some angels who had invested in love space and some friends and family. And we've raised um, in a couple of rounds now around um, 250, between 200 and 250K, mm -hmm. um, which has you know, funded the you know, initial um, build, you know, branding, marketing, stock and, and team. Um, and now we're, you know, now we're looking to scale that up. So I'm beginning to have some discussions with venture capital, um, you know, potentially looking at more angel or crowdfunding uh, mm -hmm. to fund it, because it is the kind of 
business to do for a number of reasons we've discussed you know you've got vans on the road you know you're going to get density marketing there's wastage initially you know you're learning how to do plants it does require a bit of funding up front um it's not a pure trading business uh and you know so and we, we think certainly you know so if we can get it, funding in early we'll we'll have a bit of a head start but is it very much a kind of uh, like an e-commerce business as opposed to a kind of a technology business it's or definitely what? not currently a a tech center it's tech enabled business so you know a lot of it is e-com we're built on woocommerce at the moment um but there's a bunch of content you know, the, the two bits that make it more than that are we're running our own deliveries i'm going to get all that right and um and then plant care tips and you know equivalent crm so making sure people who've bought specific plants get the right tips at the right time um so there's a you know there is a there's a bit more complexity to it um it's not similar again to love space which was a you know which was really is, is really now a tech business uh, if you yeah. think about it because with love space we don't have any bands and we don't have any storage locations what we're doing is we're matching customers needs to look after things with warehouses and and van networks across the UK um, to provide a seamless experience for the for the end customer, but without us actually having to take um, hold of anything. You know, we store them with people who can be way better than us. You know, like the Iron Mountain or you know other archive storage companies, you know, big mm -hmm. companies. Um, and so, you know, th there is for me, there's that kind of aspiration. I think with this business, you know, it could go down a very tech-driven route uh, ultimately, where once again, you know, we're not necessarily having to touch the touch the plants we we give that to people who you know who've been doing that all their lives british growers you know with capacity and we you know we match them with customers you know, we do the curation job and match them with customers who want do you think of becoming more of a kind of a plat more of a platform it could we could do over time i think it's a good way of scaling um but to do that you know what i've learned if you're going to go down that route you have to do the doing yourself up front because um you can't you know you can't build a platform without seeing all the problems and you know, having solved them. yeah First. I mean, certainly my experience with things like that as well, you know, getting other people to fulfill orders is that they're quite, you just depend on how sophisticated they are. Now, I'm going to guess that growers may well not be that sophisticated. But you have um, to make it super simple. I mean, that's the, you know, yeah. that's the same with, that's the same with your, you know, your, your average, you know, archive, regional archive storer. Um, it's, it's how do you make that process completely clear and also painless because... Uh, particularly when you're starting up and you're asking partners to work with you if you do that they're, they're so used to doing things their own way or they've got big clients you know you, you need to make it you need to win on easiness um as well as it being make commercial sense for them because if it's remotely difficult they'll drop you right you know why 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 would why would you support a startup you don't know you know that may not be there in two three years you've got to make it so easy so easy for them um i had this uh I used to used to spend a lot of time driving the van at Love Space, and part of that, um, as well as giving me a bit of headspace away from the business, was to learn, you know, what it really um, took to do the job at the doorstep, and and kind of all of the little cases that would come up that screwed up your average process. Which is, you know, when you sat down there, you can draw an average process, but actually, it never really worked in in person. And you know, little workarounds that you as a driver would use on your app because it was easier so you know calling a job complete before it is you know for instance because it was easier and there was no you know why not but mm. occasionally occasionally that would cause a cause a problem um and i told this story i said i said uh, i was at an awards do um so we'd just been kind of one of the maybe one of the fastest growing businesses i think in the uk 
and we worked alongside a bunch of other startup CEOs. And I said, well, I've been, uh, you know, I've been in the van today, um, really trying to get under the skin of you know, what, the, what our customers want. And um, uh, someone to my left said, I just love that story. You know, I love that idea of being in the van. Yeah, I was in the van today, really kind of brainstorming with the team what it takes. And, and it went around <laughs> the table like that. And I got the day after I got on um, LinkedIn, two or three things from people I won't name who were there saying, I've told your I've told you a kind of metaphor of being in the van to my, uh, to my team, which I said, no, I was in the, was in the effing van, yeah? I do think, I do, but I agree. I think that you can actually, because I think it's quite, I found it, it's quite easy to give a task to someone. Like some people, a lot of, some people are just really good at doing what you tell them to do, right? But they just continue doing what you tell them to do. And they won't, you know, they never think, how do I improve it? But if you actually do it yourself, you know what things you don't need to do or what things don't work. And I think, I think it's exactly really, that really valuable exactly. experience and doing can... it yourself and do or, or doing it with someone else who's because i think you know the, everyone in the team wants to do stuff better they just assume it's often it's, it's really quite dispiriting even in a small team they assume that no one wants to make it better for them or that it's not going to be made better for them so when i was you know working with you know Piotrek and dan and others who ran our warehouses they just they would just do things at the same time the same the same way um uh even if it wasn't working and they find workarounds and then you know you'd spend a day with them and go well why are you doing it like that i said well that's the only way it works so why haven't you told me well because i just assumed it wouldn't get sorted and that's you know that's what you've got to kill in a small business culture yeah. is because everyone's got the idea i mean i you know pe people it might they might be able to sort of just assume they can continue to do it the same way but really the everyone wants to make it better um, my, my example would be at one point we used to we started off small and we used to print out all our invoices and we put them in files and then we got bigger and bigger until we we're just spending like a day a week printing out invoices and i think i've got this problem with printing out invoices. what do we do about this printing of this printing out invoices and then i sat down with a friend of mine that's actually a professional in archiving and stuff and processing paper and he goes well why don't you just not print them out yeah i thought that's a really good idea know, why didn't i think that's an excellent idea so you know we just you know, we just file them on a computer or on a, There I mean, are loads of those things. But that, that's that's such a great example of of these sort of things that you 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 put great you know, great store by when you start up. And then because it's just you and the team, no one ever no one ever goes, well that's stupid. Why don't we just not do it and then see if anyone notices or, or... exactly 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 right. Um, so Steve, you've, you've worked in, so you work for big corporates, so you work for McKinsey, you work for, I don't know if you can call the Guardian a big corporate, big enough, um, big and you've also worked for, can, yeah, you yeah. can you reflect on working for big corporates and running a startup? What, 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 what are you, I, I, as someone who's now been working for myself for 12 years, I actually now, I actually begin to look at big corporates and think, oh, that'd be quite nice sometimes. What do you think? There's definitely that. And, you know, when I when, when I was sort of the point of doing this last last year, I was thinking about going back into corporate life, you know, either as a CEO or, you know, as a director of a much larger company. And I, that's what I've done as you said before at the, at the Guardian. And the Guardian group was was actually a really big um, corporate and is a, you know, is a big business, not just the Guardian and the Observer yeah. and all the online stuff, but was auto trader. EMAP, um, regional newspapers, radio, it was, you know, it was a big media conglomerate. Um, and part of my job actually there as director of strategy was to make it a smaller conglomerate and focus it much more on The Guardian and kind of get out of a bunch of media assets that we thought quite correctly, we're not, you know, we're not gonna um, 
prove to be that valuable over time. Um, yeah, so I thought about you know, going back, uh, what's different? The, it's less relentless. So I think- so Working in a big corporate less relentless. Being in the corporate, yeah. It's, so, so what you trade off, I think, when you're at a startup, you, you get a lot of control in many ways. You can choose what you do today, you can choose what you sell, you can choose how you talk to people, who you hire, you choose everything. And you and and that's like you, even more so than if you were CEO of a large corporate, because there you've got a bunch of inherited culture and politics and people and, and people shareholders and and yeah and shareholders. I was going to say shareholders actually. I think is a bit that is that comes across pretty much. I think the shareholder thing is quite interesting, but 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 you certainly have more control running your own startup, and, I, and I'm sure you, you felt that, and and you have you control your path and how quickly you want to grow and all those things. Um, the flip side is it's completely relentless mentally because you, you know, it just won't happen unless you make it happen. You know, if yeah. you're a corporate, if you're a corporate, you could, I mean, there are, you know, bad CEOs and there are bad directors and they can sort of last for, you know, years <laughs> and do very little. Um, but that's because there's a huge momentum in the organization already and there's a bunch of talent around and they're all ambitious. So they're doing stuff. So um, you know, I think that there is um, there's less places to hide with the startup. Um, you get it's pretty much immediate judgment from customers. You're always thinking about whether the business can survive or not until you get it to a point where it's on an even keel, and which is was a fantastic moment when Love Space got there. So I think that's the, that's a big difference. Uh, the connection with customers is a really big difference for me, and one why I've absolutely loved from. Love space. I think it all got quite abstract, particularly in strategy and particularly for a large group. You know, we had loads of readers and measured in them, you know, millions every day yeah. online. Um, but who were they? What did they want? You know, did they really love the Guardian? And they were they all the same kind of people? Very difficult to sense your impact. <laughs> yeah, certainly. Uh, as you know, I was a I was a you know Guardian Easter, but what was everyone getting the same from it as I was? And you have to abstract things and with the startup, it you don't. You know, they're real people, and you you make a real difference in their lives, and you can sort of see it. Um, so I think that's a really good thing. It's the same team as well. You know, um, people people have to make a big commitment to come and work with you, or they're desperate. <laughs> 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 uh, uh, yeah, people. It is possible. It is. It is both, of course. <laughs> both. Yeah, I did say that when I got the team starting up. This, I said, look, you know. I chose you because you're uh, you know, talented, uh, hardworking, driven, you know, brilliant, and um, I assume short of uh, other alternative options. <laughs> well, I don't know if you listen you know. to Ivo Graham. He talks about the yeah. uh, the available. He, he he says, you know, there's a he, he refers to himself as the available son. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but there is a but that's a but that is such a real you know that um, serendipity chance just being there is kind of a lot of what it's about. And the big, so I was going to come back to shareholders and just maybe finish off this point on corporates. Um, the big thing in the corporate is, is you've kind of got a reputation from your position and you're trying to defend it the whole time and you're desperately trying to not look stupid because, you know, the politics of big corporate, uh, you know, as soon as, you, as soon as your momentum's gone or you politically, you know, you lose control, that actually really affects your ability to do your job and, you, and your satisfaction in your job. Whereas with a startup, you just, you've got to, kind of ignore that and and accept that you're going to look stupid from day one you're doing stuff that no one else has done before it's very risky you know you make those mistakes because you you know that's part of the gig um so you've got to get very comfortable very quickly 
with that. And actually, if you're the right kind of person, that could be immensely liberating because you're not check, you're not looking over your shoulder the whole time. You're not kind of checking whether you've said exactly the right thing to the right person. Um, there are there's plenty of politics, but it's different kind of politics in a in a, in a startup organization. No, it is it is amazing even how in small companies it can be quite hard to get things done. I think. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, it, the, the so the classic was um, I used to try and get the team out for to go for drinks, you know, on a Friday evening at Love Space, and um, quite often I'd be sort of leading the charge at about five five thirty, and they'd say, no, 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 we need to stay here. Well, you know, mass re mass revolt from the team. <laughs> saying, no, we've got to stay and do our jobs. So I was thinking, well, who's who's the boss around here? You know, and you, and you sort of, it's amazing how how quickly a culture can build that you know you intended to build it, obviously, but then completely supersedes your ability to control it. Do you know when I worked in a bank, we used to all go down the pub on a Friday. Everyone, boss, boss is boss. Yeah. Four pints on a Friday lunchtime. I mean, I just kind of I, I just uh, remember that. How did we even now. Do well, I don't know. I don't know. Well, certainly, I I certainly don't do it anymore. But anyway, <laughs> hello, right, Steve. This has been great. But I've got a, I've got a final question for you. I think to wrap it up, what has inspired you most recently? Oh, what a great question. Um, so I've got a friend of mine, a guy called Alec Varma, who's uh, another entrepreneur, and um, I was very lucky enough, I think, you know, for him to consider me a mentor at one point. But I certainly you know, view him <laughs> as an inspiration. Now and and during again it's sort of a lockdown story that just just preceded this he set up a um, charity called uh, Meals for the NHS um, which uh, he brought a bunch of people together really talented folk um, some of whom I've worked with before in a very flat team who who were getting um, food from local restaurants who obviously couldn't send it to anyone at that point um, and sent it to, to hospitals. And frontline staff who were working, you know, extremely long hours and you know, have been obviously for twelve months, but mm. were without any of the kind of structures and you know and ability to get food late night in place. And he started that up in no time at all, um, and got a lot of very talented people involved, spending a lot of time trying to solve that problem. Um, and that was, you know, that was a great inspiration for a couple of reasons. Firstly, it was a brilliant thing to do. Nice thing to do. Second, and secondly, just the speed with which he was doing stuff and making decisions, and that team was. Uh, and it reminded me, you know, and that's what we found when we launched this in two weeks: is if you know what you need to do, if you're very clear on the objective, and you've got some good people around you, it's just amazing how quickly you can get get good stuff done. So yeah, that that would be the one. Okay. Well, Steve, it's been very interesting talking to you and thank you for your time. Um, and perhaps we can talk again in a few months and you can give us a status update. I would love to. I would love to, you know, as the, as the flowers come in full bloom for the summer, we should do it. When, when's, the, when's your peak period? So summer. Perhaps we can have a sum up in, 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 in the autumn. We can find out how you've got on. Yes, let's do that. Be okay, that'd be great. great.